This is the Zealous Podcast with Rocky Snyder, the show that's all about the pros behind the pros. Welcome to this episode of the Zealous Podcast. I'm Rocky Snyder, and this week we're talking NBA strength training and conditioning with, well, who are you going to go to with the NBA? Maybe the NBA champions for this year, the world champion Lakers. So with me is the assistant strength conditioning coach, Ed Strite. Ed, welcome. Thanks, Rocky. Thanks for having me. Uh, really look forward to talking and mixing it up and chatting. Dude, I, I just got to be transparent right now. And, you know, raised just north of Boston, taking the tea into the garden <laughs> through the 80s and and watching Mikhail, Bird, and and Parrish, DJ, and Ainge, and, and, and going against Worthy, Kareem, Magic, Rambus, the, you know, all those guys. I, <laughs> it's really hard to actually have, you know, to, to, to congratulations, especially this year with your championship and tying my boys with the number of NBA championships. But I'm, I'm going to try and be a bigger man than I think I am. So congratulations. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're, we're all tied up now. You know, obviously, this is this is my first year with the Lake Show. And being being from Chicago, um, you know, obviously, I worked for the Bulls for a couple of years. We'll kind of touch on that later. But um, you can see the kind of jersey behind me. But I grew up a Bulls fan, so I never thought I'd be wearing purple and yellow, um, purple and gold. But here we here we are. And, you know, I got I got some nice hardware to add to the collection now after my first season with them. So I'm sure we'll we'll kind of chat a little bit more about that. I bet the only thing that's that's holding me like it, that's that's holding some happiness is that there's an asterisk I think in my mind next to this season, but but you can look at it either way because you had to do some true magic to get where you guys got, uh, especially right. with the condensed season, which I'd love to talk about too. But let's just kick it off with you know you mentioned you were at the Bulls, and, but just for those that are wondering, how do you become a strength conditioning coach for? the NBA champion Lakers, uh, what happened? How did you get there? Man, uh, it was a very, very long road. It feels like it, you know, I'm only, I'm only 31, but it uh, feels like I've been doing this for about 31 years. And uh, I'll kind of tell you why here shortly, but um, started off, you know, being from the South side of Chicago, growing up there, I fell in love with weightlifting at a very early age. I had my first gym membership when I was 12 years old. I remember it was a little corner gym called the end zone uh, right on the 111th in Sawyer. And that, that's kind of where it all began. And then obviously playing every little, every sport you can think of um, in high school, I kind of fell in love with the weight room in that process uh, through, throughout those times as well. I go to Illinois State for um, college and study exercise science. It's something I've always been passionate about. I kind of like my philosophy is you only have one body on, well, you know, during your time here, right? So why not, you know, master that and get the most out of your body. Uh, that was something that's kind of always appealed to me. Uh, started actually athletic training, then I went PT, and then I realized, you know, I could add basketball and the weight room together, create that um, as, a, as a, you know, and get paid to do that. So um, from my senior year, I did an internship, my first internship with DePaul. And Matt Calloway was my supervisor there. That was my first ever exposure to strength conditioning. I'm so grateful to have Mac as, um, you know, one of my mentors throughout my entire career and spent uh, a little over a season there, worked with all 13 teams, learned a lot, grew a lot as a coach, as a person. From there, went to intern at Arizona State University with Rich Wenner, uh, knowing that that kind of position would turn into a graduate assistant position. 
at some point, you know, I went out there on my own dime, um, you know, made, made some ends meet working another job on the side and, you know, kind of, you know, everyone has their story. That was a big part of mine. That's where I grew a lot as a coach, you know, in the, in the weight room at 5.00 AM. And if we had a game leaving at 10 and then go work my other job at night and do it all over again. So it added some, some gray hairs up here, but I'm very, very grateful for those experiences. Um, so that was with Rich Wenner, who's been a strength coach there, I think for over 34 years now. Uh, one of, one of the, the true OGs in the game, uh, from there, got another internship with the Chicago Bulls interned there for a couple seasons. And then was hired on full-time as an assistant, which is a dream come true, especially being from the South side of Chicago. How did and that happen? How did you, did you just reach out and apply for an internship or was there a connection that was made? No. So, uh, Matt Calloway actually taught me, you know, networking is critical no matter what you do in life. A anything you do in life, if you're trying to get ahead, you should network your ass off. So that was something I was very fortunate to learn at a young age. And that's actually how I got the internship at Arizona State University. I went to visit friends at um, ASU for spring break and shot Rich Winter an email. Hey, can we link up and just talk shop? We talk shop hit it off. And he's like, you know, I have this GA position won't open for a year, come intern. And you know, the rest is history. Now, when I was interning and a GA at Arizona state, which is an NBA city, Phoenix, uh, right. You know, Tempe's right outside of Phoenix. I was kind of a pest, but you know, I knew some of the NBA guys and I would shoot them, you know, an email, a text, something, Hey, if you guys need a place to train, you're more than welcome to come here. Or if you want to get coffee on me, Let's link up. Let's talk shop. I'd love to, you know, just meet you. A lot of those emails went unanswered, um, which, you know, I, I get now I get how busy the NBA season is. So no hard feelings. But, you know, a couple of those uh, emails were answered. And, you know, as a kid in that position, you know, that's like that's like Christmas when you get that email back. So um, that's actually kind of how the Bulls position came about. You know, I emailed Nick Papendick, who was the head strength coach there at the time. And we were just talking over coffee and their uh, intern position was opening up in a couple months. And, you know, we, we hit it off and the rest, rest is kind of history. Wow. Now, I, what I normally see is people that are strength coaches, they drift toward becoming athletic trainers. And then from there, they become physical therapists. But that's quite unique. You, you went in the opposite direction. You opposite, started studying yeah. athletic training and physical therapy and then decided on strength coaching. What, what was the reasoning behind that? I mean, what was, what inspired you to, to go upstream, so to speak? Yeah. So uh, this is kind of a funny story, but you know, little naive me, you know, it, it, it's very interesting. So doing my, you know, hours, my volunteer hours for athletic training, it was kind of like, you know, you'd always look down the hall or to the PTs or something. And as you're, you know, as a young intern or volunteer, people don't give you much time, much thought, much, much of anything. Um, and you're usually dealing with an athlete who's injured and not, if they're competitive, they're probably not happy about being injured. So I'm sitting here dealing with these, you know, pouty athletes, you know, they don't want to be there. And that may, you know, the, just that whole energy is contagious. So it was kind of like, you know, I don't know if I really want to do this. Um, and then same thing, I went the PT route and was doing those hours. And I felt like, you know, some of those people, you know, you could tell them what to do, how to do it. Um, you know, it's going to make you better. Show them all the research in the world. And a lot of people wouldn't do it. Um, 
some of them didn't want to get back to work. And I was told that by two of them, like, you know, I'm slow cooking this, I'm taking my time. So it was just kind of like, okay, okay. And then I figured, you know, instead of helping the people that have already been injured, uh, looking, you know, through the glass into the weight room, I can go this route and hopefully keep these people from getting injured um, and reduce the likelihood of that. So uh, that's kind of how that uh, all came about. And, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for the, that that happened. Now, you know, I have the weight room and basketball, two of my favorite things in the whole wide world, and I'm getting paid to do those stuff. So. Oh, that's great. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about injury for right now, because you just brought it up. Uh, helping to reduce the likelihood of injury. You know, we can't prevent it, but we can sure give them better odds, right? Love that. Because Love that. anything's going to happen. So, so what is it? I mean, there was a time that uh, I'm going to say when you were probably watching Jordan and Pippen and, and, and Cartwright and the rest of them getting their rings and getting their championships and you're probably in grade school, but that was the time in the NBA where there was a tremendous amount of support in the, in the NBA's high top or three quarter top. And all of that support actually diminished the, the feedback that those nerve endings or we call them proprioceptors or mechanoreceptors were feeding the brain to tell the athlete where the foot was. So they saw a higher incident rate of inversion sprains, ankle sprains, and that led to knee issues and so on. So now the shoes have changed and have given them less support, but we're still seeing injuries, of course, on the court. What are the right. most common injury sites that, that you're, you're trying to reduce the likelihood of? So uh, you, you kind of hit it on the head. I mean, talking about the foot, that, that's one of the biggest um, areas of injury in our sport, you know, especially with rolled ankles and um, other, you know, contact issues. Um, and like you said, reducing the likelihood of injuries. We can't predict anything. Uh, it's a contact sport. You go out for a rebound. Someone's got their foot under you. Something, some, something's bound to happen. Um, we can't, you know, we can't really train for that in the weight room. Um, I mean, I guess you could if you're sticking things under people's feet, but if they roll your ankle on your time, probably going to be out of a job pretty soon. Um, but yeah, so to touch on uh, some of the most common injury um, areas, obviously the foot and ankle, um, that kind of works. It correlates, you know, right up to the knee, like, you know, it can't go down, so it's going to go up. Uh, so usually most of our injuries are lower body with the ankle, knee, some hip issues, some low back, especially if you have an older roster. Um, and then for your bigs, you might even get into like some shoulder issues. But um, I would say the lower lower body injuries are, are most common with the foot, ankle and knees. So what kind of approaches or techniques or, or exercise selection are you typically going to put into somebody's program? Are there going to be foot and ankle movements or, or mobility drills or strengthening drills? Are there, is there balance coordination? Obviously, there's a lot of agility going on, but what are some of the go-tos that you like to implement with your, whether the starting five or the entire crew or, or, or even just the farm team? Uh, yeah. No, 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 absolutely. And especially with, with our roster uh, this past season, we had one of the oldest rosters in the league. Um, that was something that was very uh, critical for us was foot and ankle health. Um, and I think one thing that really helped us was we implemented a lot of isometric uh, calf work and seated calf work um, just for, you know, that Achilles complex, uh, just to keep that strong, durable and keep guys, um, you know, available. That, that's probably one of the biggest things that we've added uh, now in, in this setting, you know, time is, is short, um, you know, guy, guys are in and out. There's so much going on with, 
um, individual workouts, practice, this, that, and, you know, it's, we're, we're very fortunate. We have a great culture with the Lakers and guys love to get in the weight room. Like on a game day, we have anywhere from 10 to 14 guys come in pregame, which is kind of unheard of. But um, that being said with, you know, the time restrictions that we have, you know, you have to be uh, really efficient with what you're doing with these guys and not waste their time, keep them engaged too. So, you know, we will touch on a couple correctives, whether that be for uh, hip mobility, um, low back health, uh, core strength, uh, and then address the foot and ankle. And then we get into our, our training. It's, it, as I see it, it really boils down to the nervous system because that is the governing body for all movement, right? And, and if we can Absolutely. train the nervous system appropriately, then the, the joints are going to respond and therefore the connective tissue surrounding it, whether it be ligaments, tendons, muscle, fascia, whatever we want to consider is going to have to respond too. So like you're familiar with Gary Gray and the Gray Institute and he has all yep. these different foot positions, right? There's, if you count them all out, there's 27 foot positions that you can achieve in some type of stance. So the question to you, Ed, is, is when you're training the NBA players, are you encouraging them out of the typical parallel stance or split stance into maybe something that's inverted, everted, one inverted, one everted? Are you getting them into more actual specific places that they may find themselves on the court to better prepare better feedback through the nervous system? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think something that we do too, we'll go like just through kind of our, you know, uh, mobility assessment. And one thing that we really value is, uh, you know, squatting guys and uh, squats, deadlifts, some of your more traditional lifts um, to kind of, you know, actually load tissues in a, in a, in a fast manner and really get some good training. Um, but one thing that we do, we'll go through like a hip scour to see um, where that athlete, um, at their acetabulum sits to kind of see where they get the most range of motion. And, you know, that might be um, feet parallel feet, you know, rotated out one foot, you know, like there's, a, there's those are bony limitations. You can't really work around, um, but you know, you can get the most out of their range of motion and get them stronger throughout those ranges. So we do kind of implement uh, different angles. Uh, one thing we also do uh, is to, with our population, these guys have been chronically rolling their ankles since the age of, I mean, when, when's AAU start now when you're three, it feels like <laughs> guys could, you know, are dribbling basketballs when the basketballs are as big as, uh, as them. So, you know, we have chronic ankle rolls. So we'll kind of take the ankle out of it sometimes and put these guys on a squat wedge um, just to kind of really get those knees over toes, really get some good quad activation, more time under tension for those patellofemoral issues and, you know, really load those tissues. So you were talking about you know, both the anatomy of the skeletal structure and, and how the, the femur inserts into the pelvis and, and what that shape is like. Do you notice that there is almost like a position-specific uh, pelvis type, if you would, or, or hip position? Like, is it different for the guards compared to the centers because of their height and their body shape? Do you, have you kind of been scratching your head at that? Do you notice anything like that or, or not? Not, not really. Uh, guys are all over the place. Like I've had some, I've been blessed to work with some phenomenal lifters and I've had seven footers who can overhead squat astagrass without a heel lift. Um, and then I've also had guys that literally can, you know, squat, can't squat to parallel or anywhere near it. Um, an interesting thing though, 
is sometimes with those guys, if you split the pelvis and do a single leg, you know, like a rear foot elevated or Bulgarian split squat, then they can get much more range of motion. Um, so it's really just kind of like, it's so tailored to the individual at this level. And then you also have like this past season we had, when I got here, he was 18 years old, which is, under, you know, you have an 18 year old kid in the NBA. Uh, he's 19 now, anywhere from that to, you know, 34, 35 year old men who have been, you know, all over the league, all over uh, the nation and different training philosophies, different that. So it's like every athlete has their own individual fingerprint as far as their training age and history, what they like, and then obviously their, their limitations as well. How much does the training philosophy vary from one NBA team to the other? I mean, you've been with the Bulls and we, we haven't even broached the topic there about what yeah. that was, which I'd love to. And now you're with the Lakers, but uh, is there a, a pretty substantial difference in training philosophies? Yeah, yeah, there's definitely some uh, some different philosophies across the league. And, really? you know, when it, it was interesting, when I was a younger strength coach, I'd kind of like shake my finger like, I don't know, that's not what I do. So obviously with time, age, experience, and wisdom, you know, as, as long as, as you have reason, rationale that's backed by science as to what you're, you're doing, why you're doing it, I fully respect you. And if you get player buy-in, um, you know, I fully respect you as a strength coach and what you do and how you own your workouts and your philosophy and how you rock with your department. Um, you know, that, that's something that did take a lot of time. And as a younger strength coach, I was kind of naive to that. But there, there are a lot of different philosophies across, across the league. Um, I'm very, very fortunate that, you know, in my time in from DePaul, uh, Arizona State, uh, to the Chicago Bulls and now to the Lakers, you know, obviously I had some stops at UConn and Dayton along the way as a head strength coach. But with all those places where I'm in that kind of assistant role, a lot of those philosophies have been very similar. And that's, you know, more of a traditional strength training, uh, loading tissue um, is something that, you know, reduces the likelihood of injuries, keeps your guys uh, performing at their best. So I've been very blessed to have a lot of really, really smart uh, mentors along the way there. So we let's talk about the Bulls for a minute, though. Uh, yep. It's the, you get there, you, you did some interning, and then they brought you up the ranks and became one of the strength coaches there. I, what, what was their philosophy like, or what was your philosophy while you were there, and how is it different to where you are now? Yep. So the, the Bulls strength and conditioning program, obviously, it's, it's kind of historic. Um, Al Vermeil was there, you know, with those, those nineties bulls and Eric Helland. And, you know, that, that's kind of been a, a torch that's been passed all over the basketball world. You know, I think at one point there were, you know, from former interns with Al Vermeil and Eric Helland in just the big 10 alone, which is big time basketball. I think like nine out of those big 10 programs came from interning with Eric Helland and, uh, Al Vermeil. So that, that tree is just, you know, very, very, um, it's full of just great strength coaches and they're spread out all over the nation. So very fortunate to be a part of that. And, you know, it's, it's definitely very traditional. If you know any of Al Vermeil's stuff, you know, he's big on Olympic lifting, traditional uh, lifts. And, you know, he, he was way ahead of his time doing what he was doing back in the eighties and nineties. Um, you know, so, some of that is like, you know, the gold standard for what's uh, happening now today. And, you know, with his assessments and everything, the guy is just, you know, I think he's, he's in his uh, mid seventies uh, and he's still sharp as a tack. I like, I still love picking that guy's brain, 
one of the, one of the most uh, beneficial experiences of my entire career was when I got to pick him up and bring him to a perform better uh, conference in Chicago and just spending, you know, 45 minutes in Chicago traffic with him in the car was like, wow, this guy, <laughs> this guy's brilliant, you know, and I was an intern at the time. So it was just like, <laughs> oh yeah. Now I've sat on a few of his lectures, a few, a few conferences where he's presented and it's just, you know, you, every word coming out of his mouth is just cold. cold. It yeah. is. Now, in the 90s, of course, this is the dawn of plyometrics, and we were bringing yep. that in, and whether it was Dr. Don Chu or <laughs> Al himself, but there was others that were, were really exploring the explosiveness of these type of, of movements, and it's, it's carried on to this day, but, the, but what has kind of gone through the, the ringer is the volume of work. You know, at one point in time, we were trying to do too much, and then yep. we off and then it's been this fluctuation so in regards to plyometrics the jumps the hops leaps and bounds where where do you place that into your your year-round conditioning program i guess this is where we go into a little periodization let's let's right. talk about that and and uh where yeah i guess let's just start there yeah so uh with plyometrics it's it's really tough to do that during you know the the season with 82 games you might have a back-to-back um, and like we talked about the guy's individual um, fingerprints and, you know, their training age and history and try to get a 34 year old to do plyometrics in season after you just played 35 minutes, you're probably going to get some cuss words thrown your way. But <laughs> um, so I, I think with the plyometrics, that's definitely something that you implement um, in more so in the off season. And, you know, early off season, especially when those guys aren't on the court as much. And then you know, just like any off season, you prioritize, you know, the weight room and taking care of your body, which I mean, should always be a priority. Um, and you kind of put your skill development, maybe a little bit on the back burner earlier on in that off season. And then the kind of um, those, those roles change as the, you know, off season progresses. Obviously you still want to maintain all of your strength and keep building strength because you want to be performing at your, your peak at your best, you know, in the playoffs when it matters. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the end season is one of the most, one of the longest uninterrupted training blocks there is. Um, but yeah, so long-winded answer, but a lot of our uh, plyometric work is done early off season and off season. And then you can also implement a lot of that stuff. If you have kind of lower minute guys uh, that are just kind of hanging out at the, the end of your bench throughout the course of the season. Sure. Now this season, of course, was unlike any that you've had before, whether we're talking strikes and scab players or anything else that years ago <laughs> that we might have seen. But this year, you know, the season starts, uh, what, end of October, more or less, mid to, yep. mid to late October, and then goes all the way. The finals are, are in June. So, but uh, April is when the playoffs begin. So October, April, but something happened mid-March where just before the playoffs were kicking in, all hell broke loose. So how did that affect, like, obviously it affected the, the NBA season itself and the playoffs and everything, but how did that affect you in your role? Yeah. So at, at that time, man, we were rolling. We were, you know, right before the pandemic hit, it was just automatic guys were crushing lifts. We'd have, you know, about 10 guys pregame come in, uh, get great work in guys on off days. We were, we were busy. And as a strength coach in the NBA, busy is good. 
you know, um, it, it's kind of easy for these guys to put the training aside and just focus, you know, on the, on the hooping, but we were, you know, very fortunate. We had a lot of vets that, you know, kind of paved the way for our younger guys and themselves and valued taking care of themselves and knew that we had big aspirations to stay strong and healthy throughout the course of the season and hopefully win a championship. Um, so yeah, with, when the pandemic first started, you know, we, we shut things down. Everybody was still a little unsure of what was going to happen. We were still in the facility for a little bit, uh, still training guys, staying ready. And then over the, you know, when they really shut everything down for, you know, a couple months, we were doing Zoom uh, group workouts with our guys. We'd get everybody, you know, two to three times a week together just so they can kind of BS and banter with each other. We sent guys equipment, you know, nothing too crazy. We weren't sending them full racks, but uh, we did send them, you know, a, a nice little care package of equipment uh, so that, you know, they could participate, do stuff at home. We also made sure, you know, that if those guys wanted access to a facility that those were safe, people they were working with, you know, were, were safe and, um, you know, COVID friendly. Um, so yeah, we, we kept trucking that entire shutdown and, you know, we had guys lifting the entire time. Like uh, we, we had big goals and aspirations and we knew that, you know, there was, there was something we wanted to take care of and nobody let their foot off the gas. So when things picked up, we were right back at it. You know, we didn't skip a beat. So you mentioned the care package. I'm curious, cause we, when that came through here, all of our clients and athletes, we sent the same thing. We just called it a goodie bag. And we had uh, resistance bands, a couple different bands, uh, yep. foot wedges, because we do do a lot of creating better contact points and timing from the foot on up and uh, some gliders. What was in your care package? Very similar, you know, valve slides, um, we, you know, ramps, a couple kettlebells, bands, some you know, some, just some basic equipment, a couple guys, we even got power blocks, uh, just so they had a nice set of dumbbells. Um, and then even some guys, you know, like, obviously it's, it's very nice to be an NBA athlete. Your paychecks are, you know, a lot bigger than a strength and conditioning coaches. I'll tell you that. But a lot of these guys even went, you know, like I said, we had big goals and aspirations. They wanted to stay healthy and fit. So some of those guys even got like cardio equipment. So it was, uh, you know, it was nice to see all the buying that we had from the players over that time. It's, it's interesting you kind of mentioned, of course, there's a salary differential there. It's obvious, right? Yeah, that'd be nice if you had a real amazing signing <laughs> bonus, was, you know, seven-figure kind of salary there and all that. But it, it brings up this kind of thing that that uh, is very interesting that I haven't experienced personally. But when I get the pros coming in, I've had a former UConn basketball player, former Golden State Warrior, of course, because up in the Bay Area. Okay that would train with me in the off season and uh, some NHL players and so on, major league baseball, but they're, they're just normal guys. They're just exactly guys, right. Do you, do you feel the same way or do you, did you get those stars struck kind of uh, those, those eyes swirling in your head when you started? No, no. I remember uh, the, the very first time I met, you know, one of the, the stars when I was in Chicago, I came in to interview for my internship and I'm, you know, up, this is up at the old Birdo Center, which is on the last dance. And I walk in through the back door, which, you know, I've seen film of, you know, Scotty, Mike, and those guys walking through that back door. And, and, you know, my heart's going. And I look at the rack, and it's Derek Rose, former MVP, you know, and he's uh, doing rear foot elevated uh, um, front squats, front rack position. And he's got, he's got like 185 on there. So, you know, that he's a beast in the weight room. So... Uh, this is like, you know, my first exposure to a superstar 
and they're like, okay, hey, we're gonna run up and let everybody know that you're here. Can you just spot Derek? And I'm just like, okay. Um, for a second, I was nervous. And then like, you know, he's, hey man, what's up? Derek, nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And we start, you know, talking. We actually, it was funny. We, we played each other from a young age. We're the same age from the South side of Chicago. Um, you know, and he, he kind of remember, remembered some of that, knew where I was from and stuff. So that, obviously that, you know, once that happens, you realize that you're just talking to a normal person and it's, you know, that, that, that kind of brings it back down. And then you're like, oh, okay, this is, you know, just a normal guy. And that's how, you know, I, I've been very fortunate. I've, I haven't had to deal with any, you know, crazy prima donna um, guys. And like, you know, even an, another really cool story. And this really strikes home um, with me over the course of the bubble, obviously working, you know, around LeBron James, one of the biggest names in all of sports, it, you know, icon around the world. And after, you know, games, one of the things that we all had to do was wear many hats. We'd help with equipment and this, that if, if there was a job that needed to be done, we helped. And to see LeBron get off the bus, grab a bag at 1.30 in the morning, post-game, after just playing 30, 40 minutes in, you know, a playoff game, and grab some bags off the bus, hey, how can I help? You know, that, that sets the tone. Like, that, that just shows, you know, if, if that guy – can do that you know they're just normal people and they're trying to help and you know obviously that that's a huge thing with him you know and how good of a leader he is yeah it, it, I, I had to it would have been remiss if if we didn't talk about LeBron because right. uh, not only that but he uh, would pe appear to me in all the games I've watched and understanding the movements of, of just basic human athleticism he is an aberration uh, just remarkable. Not only his his structure, his size, but his his speed, his agility, the coordination you, that doesn't come along every day. So no. it it's just amazing. So how do you challenge, or do you even try to challenge a a phenom of that caliber? Like, is there anything that you uh, and your crew continually try to aspire to get him to his peak performance or is he just already there with everything that you're already doing uh don't get me wrong he's already there um the guy is like you said he's just different but um yeah f funny story before i answered my first year in chicago i'm standing at half court and you know guys run out of the tunnel and you know they run to their basket to warm up and like I'm, I'm standing at half court and from behind, it's just like, woof. it was like almost like literally a train or a semi went by. Cause like, you know, you feel the wind kind of like, woof, and you, you hear it. And I'm like, and you look and it's, it's LeBron. It's just like, the guy is ginormous, you know, um, that, that, that was a really cool experience. But um, so to kind of touch on uh, the answer, uh, LeBron has his guy, Mike Mancias, um, who is his kind of performance liaison. And he is amazing, has been with him for, I think, 17 years now, um, you know, almost day one uh, back, you know, in his first year in, in Cleveland. They've been like un inseparable. And, you know, to see the, the stuff that those two do is it's still, you know, Mike still challenges himself to learn and grow um, as we all do as a staff. Um, but he, you know, is still cutting edge, still trying to learn, you know, what makes not only himself a better trainer, but can benefit his athlete. 
And I'll, I'll give it to, you know, those two and LeBron, like LeBron's the first one in the building, like good luck trying to beat that guy. Even if you're, if you're security, good luck trying to beat that guy. He's first one in most of the time, the last one out, like the, the work ethic there is unmatched as far as I've seen. Um, and, you know, earlier on in my career, it was just like, you know, he's just genetically inclined. He doesn't have to do anything this, that, but like when you behind the curtain, when you see how much work that that guy puts in, it, it's very impressive. And there's, you know, there's a reason that that guy is one of the greatest to ever do it. Yeah. So let's kind of look forward toward the, to 2021. What's the season shaping up like? What's, what's your role right now? As we're, we obviously should be into our second month of the season. Where, yeah. where are we? So, you know, obviously with the, the crazy calendar year that we just put together this past season, um, you know, guys that went to the, you know, deep in the playoffs, they made a deep playoff run, need a little time to kind of bounce back and recover us being one of those teams. But, um, you know, there were talks about when the season was going to start. Is it going to be in January, February? Um, and the, the NBA decided that we were going to start, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks, in about two weeks here. Um, I think uh, the preseason games now, we just got notified, start December 11th. So coming up pretty quick here. Usually every team's going to have about three or four preseason games. And I think camp um, guys are actually reporting back this weekend today uh, to start testing. Uh, some guys will open up camp. I want to say on the third. Um, so, you know, the next week or so we're, we're about to get it rolling again, which is, you know, kind of crazy. Uh, very, very short, unique off season. But as far as my role right now, just staying in touch with guys still in the facility uh, for the guys that are in the area, um, you know, get, getting their lifts in, taking care of themselves. Um, and then if guys aren't in our area yet, which, you know, they will be in a couple of days um, as required by the NBA, we just stayed in contact and, you know, put them in touch with great trainers in their area or, you know, communicated with the guys that they already have set up. So just keeping communication lines open and talking to the goes, uh, those guys, you know, almost every other day. How do you do that with the other trainers you just mentioned, like trying to connect them with other trainers? Is there a network that you use or you just do the Google search and see who kind of is similar in philosophy to what you guys are doing? Yeah, um, you know, very fortunate to have, you know, uh, to work around, you know, Gunnar Peterson, who's been, you know, an icon in fitness and strength conditioning for 30 years. Uh, and then Chatton Hill, who's been a head strength coach in the NBA for around 14, 15 seasons now, um, you know, to have those guys and obviously my network of people having been in the professional setting, the college setting and me loving to, to network. You know, I've kind of gotten to know a lot of good strength coaches in, in many different areas and cities. And between, you know, that whole group, um, we are, we're definitely, you know, not missing out. on. Well, we, we have people in almost every city that we can think of that, you know, uh, train at, a, at the same pace, you know, similar philosophies. Or um, sometimes it's nice to get those guys to do something different, too, especially early on in the offseason. So they're, you know, just not they're, they're going to get sick of our voice. You know, we spend a lot of time with the, the guys and they're going to get sick of our training. So it's nice to kind of get those guys outside of just their normal routine uh, here and there too. Any, any examples that you come to mind right now as to something different? Um, honestly, like getting guys to do, you know, yoga or like some, some boxing classes, 
just, you know, things that you normally wouldn't be able to do from, you know, a time constraint or a risk of liability standpoint in season. Some of those guys do continue to do, you know, different things throughout the course of the season though, too. And in the course of this season, are we still looking at 80 plus games or, or do you know if they're going to reduce it down so that the playoffs will start in April? Yeah, I think we're going to do uh, 72 games. So uh, taking 10 games off the schedule. And, you know, I, I think one thing uh, that the league really wanted to do was kind of get back to that normal start time, like you said earlier, October, kind of, you know, starting the season off um, and, and wrapping up, you know, in, in the summer and not going into the fall like we just did. So I, I had a conversation not too long ago uh, recently with Kate Weiss, who is the sports science coordinator uh, for the Dodgers. And you know, yep. we're talking about the, the behind the scenes team approach and the networking between the professionals. And what kind of, what kind of uh, cohesiveness and team approach do, does the Lakers take? Like with the athletic trainer, the physical therapist, the dietitians, or if you've got the team cooks, like what are we looking at with the Lakers? It's as much, obviously a smaller team. And that's the nice thing about the NBA is you can get really quite personal and, and really easier to kind of fine tune individual programs, but you need yep. a team approach. So what does that look like? Yeah, so uh, we have, you know, a handful of uh, athletic trainers, we have a massage therapist, um, director of sports performance, and then the strength and conditioning staff. Um, we also have our nutritionist, and then our team chef, that is kind of what we comprise as like the performance staff. And we meet, uh, we, we have a zoom meeting on, you know, Monday, we meet right now, because it's a little bit slower, once a week, but in season, we meet every day, you know, we, we check in, uh, with our guys, you know, even if it's just for five, 10 minutes, we talk about issues, um, anything that we can think of, you know, it's kind of a nice time to get, get your ideas out there, you know, so we can stay on top of things, you know, put fall, put small fires out before they come uh, become horse fires. And you go through the entire roster in these meetings, like, Hey, how's this birthday? You're just checking in with all the players. Yep. I, I've seen places where it's not very cohesive and, you know, it's just a disservice to your your staff your athletes and everybody so you know very fortunate to be in a position where everybody works well together it's it's seamless you know everybody we, we all have the same goal right it, in the end it's to win and win a championship and you know as long as everybody's just doing what it takes to you know put your head down do the work and get there um, that's all that really matters and you know everybody on our team uh, and I say our team the performance staff uh, has that goal in mind. So it's really easy when we kind of take a step back and, and look at the big goal and, you know, we just work together to accomplish that. So back in the weight room, when you've got the team working out, you got the players, do you use specific tools to help teach or to, to help correct like video analysis? Do you, are you videotaping the guys and then you show them here's, here's your lift right here. This is where I'd like you to be. Like what kind of tools do you, do you really like to pull from when you're doing your job in the room? Yeah. Uh, like, like you just said, and it, this is kind of crazy, you know, this little tool right here is so valuable. Um, it's so easy if you have somebody that's really struggling with something and, you know, try, can't get a movement down to it's so easy now to just take out your phone. There's there's different apps, you know, that track bar speed and, you know, all, all the fun stuff. But like even to just take a slow motion video um, or a regular video and just break it down frame by frame uh, with that guy. It, it's it's so easy to do in such a useful tool. And especially with, you know, how how young the NBA is getting, you know, with, with our younger guys who might need a little bit more coaching. 
um, they love to use their phones. So if they could see it on a screen, you know, it's really, it's really easy for those guys to kind of uh, learn visually. You mentioned you're seeing younger and younger players. And of course, with every passing year, technology is increasing. So it's great to have those tools. But the other thing that technology does is it takes away from purposeful human movement, right? We're yep. getting to be less active with every passing year and every passing generation. So are you seeing within the NBA itself, uh, I'm, I see it within society and American culture is that the average person is structurally less sound than the previous generation. You know, there we're seeing injuries occur at younger and younger ages. Is, yep. is that the case with the NBA? Are you, are you starting to see the effects of technological advances in, in our society uh, in a detrimental way? I, I would personally, like, I, I don't think there's any research on it, um, at least that I know of, but I will say that I do think that that is a contributing factor to kind of what we're seeing in today's, you know, day and age. I also think another big thing that contributes to that is the special, you know, specializing too early and getting these guys, like we talked about playing AAU basketball and travel, you know, basketball, club basketball at the age of four, uh, you know, before, you know, the, yeah, uh, before they're even in kindergarten. Um, and then you just kind of, you're, you're, you know, grooving those same movement patterns over and over and over, some of which may not be ideal for that individual. Um, and then, you know, it's just like trying to cut a stone, you keep chipping away, something's going to break eventually, right? It's not the, it's not the 1000th or the 1 millionth, um, strike it's you know all those strikes before that so um i i think you know the specialized um sports and you know not playing other sports now which you know that's become something that's probably a little bit more familiar over the past 10 years or so you know when most of your athletes would play three or four sports and kind of get out of those moving patterns get into other ones and strength train maybe even differently or you know different agility um exercises now it's just the same old thing over and over and over in basketball being a high speed sport with a lot of accelerations, decelerations, and, you know, even some contact there, um, you know, it, it can, it can wear you down a little bit. So um, I, I think it's a, it's a multitude of things that kind of contribute to that, but I do definitely think that the technology and the specialization contribute to those. In, in regards to technology, what is it that your organization is harnessing with the tech that's out there, if you could share, not to throw yep. some things out there, but what you're willing to share, like what are the Lakers doing with tech that is something that you're going, okay, this is some awesome stuff here. I'm glad we have this. And this is just blowing doors on where we were without it. Yep. Uh, so there's a couple things, you know, obviously I can't dive too much into it, but like something that we just recently got into were force plates. Like we had those in the bubble. We use Hawk and Dynamics. Um, another uh, couple things that we're doing, um, we use, you know, our, it's kind of primitive, if you will, but like we use RPE um, to get our acute chronic workload ratios. Uh, that That's, you know, I, I started doing that back in uh, Chicago with the Bulls. And that's something that I found, you know, when you get a really good relationship with your athletes to be a kind of a nice pulse for your team. Um, but it, it's a very unique uh, thing in the NBA uh, due to the collective bargaining agreement, none of the data collection is necessary. So you can't sit here and tell a guy like you have to wear this heart rate monitor or this, you know, GPS tracker, which I've used all of those before. And it's really, you know, you get some really great data from that. Um, but like us having, you know, an old, older roster, we kind of took a step back 
and you know our, our guys weren't too big on the tech so you know we will use rpe um where we're getting into the floors plates data and then um you know the athletic tra training side of things they also have a bunch of you know delos and a bunch of other um you know types of technology that they use but in the weight room we keep it pretty simple um just with those things and you know i i think i don't know one of the things that we kind of hang our hat on is just actually getting guys training like you know and also kind of managing their load you know tracking tonnage um we we used bridge last season we use it this season you know so just a really you know it's a it's another easy tech thing that we can use to kind of track guys uh, programs and loads throughout the course of the season. So I, I have a force plate myself and I've been using it for the better part of, uh, I'd say three or four years, primarily to understand mass management and, and posture, gait mechanics, joint mechanics, and so on, so that I can better create programs for people to wake up areas that they haven't been working those dark zones that we don't travel into also yep. just in regards to corrective or pain management and that type of thing. Oh, what do you use in the force plate for? I'm curious, is it just to, is it uh, gait analysis? Is it, it how much force they're exerting when jumping? What do you do? Yeah, so honestly, we're still very early in our stages of using it. And like one thing that I learned over the course of my career is not to get lost in data, right? It's very easy to do, especially with something like a force plate where you're getting millions of metrics in a second, um, in a millisecond. So uh, one, one of the things we just kind of, you know, we're, we're still looking for our big rocks and what we want to track. You know, there's a lot of different research out there and there's a lot of different people you can talk to. But, you know, I, I think, you know, something that we'll kind of look at over time, eccentric rate of force development, asymmetries, right versus left, kind of get a baseline for our guys. God forbid if something happens, we can, you know, we have some uh, baseline data for those guys to get back to after an injury. Um, and that's kind of where we're starting right now. We're in a, we're in a collecting phase. Like we're not, you know, trying to, um, you know, fix all of our problems with a force plate right now. Like, again, it all comes back to just good quality training that will always, always take precedence over any of the, the data in the, um, collection. So, you know, that, that's kind of what we're doing now. Well, it's obviously you're doing a whole bunch of things that are right because you're, you're hoisting a trophy. And I think there's a very big ring coming your way if you haven't got it on your finger already. Yeah. Throw the bling or anything. I wish I wish I had it. We don't get it probably until the start of the season, um, or may you know obviously with the season starting up pretty pretty soon, it might even uh, we might not get it until a couple games in. But um, I you know I as a strength and conditioning coach, there there's so many different. Um, there's so many different things that contribute to a championship and, you know, being around that. Um, and, you know, you just said, we're doing something right. Who knows if we are, uh, I definitely think it helps when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis and some of the other guys that we had this past season. Um, so that, never going to take full credit, um, you know, and I, I'll just kind of, you know, attribute everything that we've done to the culture um, that, you know, Rob Palinka and our, our management um, has kind of built uh, throughout, you know, bringing the guys that we have in like LeBron and Anthony and our leaders and, you know, even, you know, like Rondo, some of our, um, you know, he's no longer with us, but some of those guys that really helped set the tone and set the culture and, you know, build what we, what we've, uh, what we've made. Well, you've made a, an amazing impact on a whole bunch of people and 
I just gotta say, you know, it 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 hurts me to say it, but <laughs> that's great. I, I would say uh, I I would look forward to a repeat, but that would stop <laughs> with the with the NBA championship count. So we're gonna kind of push that off the side. I'm not that gotcha, big. Gotcha, gotcha. So and this has been great. I just uh, thank you for taking the time out. I'm, I'm glad I could get you before the season really kicks underway, but I know you your your days are full these days getting ready for it. So I. I just want to say thanks for putting a little bit of time aside for this. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, ho hopefully we're having this, uh, you know, another discussion like this same time next year. And I, you know, got two of them, not, not to rub it in. Uh, Cause you know, there's not a single thing of green in this house right now. Yeah, but, um, yeah, but when <laughs> it's I hear crazy how that rivalry go to the Celtics. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Rocky, I, I really appreciate you. Uh, having me on here and uh, you know look look forward to you know still mixing it up still chatting and keeping in touch definitely and that's it for another episode of the zealous podcasts and i just want to say thanks so much to ed strite and the la lakers organization for taking some time and sharing a little bit of insight as to their championship season wishing them of course the best for next year as hard as that is but if you missed last week we had Ridge Kiley on, who's the strength coach for Cirque du Soleil. That was a pretty cool episode. You get to find out behind the scenes of acrobats and artists and athletes that do amazing things in Vegas. Be sure to tune in next week as we have another guest. Thanks for listening.